Today's guest is Logan Price. He is truly an impressive, interesting, genuine guy, and I had so much fun chatting with him. Just a quick background on him. So he started his first business, which is a car detailing company, when he turned 16. He's now in the process of selling that business. We talk a lot about that on this episode. He's also really interested in real estate investing, which he got into during the pandemic. So when he was 20 years old is when he started doing this. And he turned $18,000 into over $130,000 just investing in real estate, buying land and flipping it. So you should definitely check out that part of the episode for sure if you're interested in real estate investing. Very unique approach I'd never heard about before, but I guess it's I guess it might be pretty well known. He's in the process of writing his first book, which is about overcoming fear by taking action and the importance of surrounding himself with the right people. Good kind of mentality shifter for people who are interested in that kind of thing. Really interesting stuff. We also chatted about his YouTube channel, which is all about like his personal brand and business and his car detailing business and really interesting stuff. I, I really liked, I, I personally got some good advice from his YouTube channel that I've applied to my business. So I recommend checking a look at it. He's a really, really cool guy to listen to. He's got a great energy about him. You'll see in a few minutes. He's a, he's a good guy. I hope you all enjoy the episode. I certainly had a fun time chatting with Logan. I'm sure we'll do it again. We got along super well. So hope you all enjoy as much as I did. Logan, dude, I'm super excited to be chatting with you. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I was, yeah, sure. Uh, This morning I was kind of, you know, looking you up and going through all of your your YouTube videos and all this stuff. And I came across this video of you talking about about public speaking. And man, you were, I know you were like nervous going into it because that was like kind of what the video was about. But man, you were dynamic in that video. You were the story you told about throwing the football at that girl was so funny. Uh, you killed me. So I, I love your content. I'm super excited to be chatting with you, and, and maybe we can get into into that public speaking stuff. But first, I want to ask you what uh, you know. You're a very young, successful person, um, and that's a rare combination. So, what drives you? Why is you know making money or succeeding? What is what? What makes that important to you? What's your why? I guess. Uh, for like on the making money side. Yeah. Or I, just I succeeding financially. Growing up, I both of my parents work really, really hard, and especially like my dad worked twelve hours a day, almost seven days a week. He works harder than anybody I've ever met. And seeing that, and seeing how hard he works, uh, I take from that, and I want to be like that. But at the same time. I want to make sure that by the time I'm his age, I have enough time to spend time with my kids and uh, have more freedom than my dad has. And so growing up, I've just always seen how hard he works. And I want to make sure that I'm not in a position to um, have to work 12 hours a week, even though, like like I said, my dad's amazing. Um, and I can learn a lot from him. I, I want to make sure that I have the freedom to uh, take my kids to, on vacations and be there and uh, I think money can buy time. And so that's the biggest reason for the money side is just if I, if I work hard enough now and, you know, make all these things happen now, then by the time I have kids, I can focus more on my family. That makes sense. So you're kind of trying to like buy the freedom that you want to have later in life by sacrificing right. some of it now. So I guess, is that what success means to you? Is I guess that's kind of a cliche question to ask, but like, do when you when you like are working towards success, is that what you're working towards? Yeah, uh, to me, success is defined by what makes you happy. To some people, success is living in uh, living off in a ranch in Texas and having a horse farm. That's what success is. To me, success is more of like a luxury uh, lifestyle. Like it's my dream to have a private jet. It's my dream to go and speak. Um, you know, 250 days out of the year. That would be amazing to be traveling that much to um, have New York Times best-selling books. And like, that's my dream. So to me, for me to be successful, I want a best-selling book. I want to have impacted millions of lives. That's what success means to me. Where somebody else, success might really just mean being a successful parent and staying at home. Interesting. So... I guess, how do you see yourself, yourself getting there? Is it, is it a, you know, you've got these businesses now, you've got real estate investing, you've got your car detailing business. Like what is that path? I mean, no one knows for sure, but when, when you vision it, uh, envision it in your mind, what steps do you imagine yourself taking to, to achieve that? Cause that's quite a, quite a hefty aspiration. I don't even, I mean, half of the things that I have now I got by just having courage and figuring it out on the way. Like I wish that I could tell you I'm going to, 
speak at this event. It's going to promote this book. This book is going to sell this amount. It's going to uh, give me the opportunity to be on some TV show or something like, I wish I could tell you the exact map that's in my head, but my map that's in my head is really just putting myself out there as much as possible. And when I'm scared of something, just facing it and doing it anyways, like, uh, like you mentioned earlier with the public speaking thing, public speaking has been my biggest fear my entire life. And the only way that I can even think about having a jet one day is if I'm constantly, if I'm scared of something, do it anyways. If I'm nervous, if my throat's getting closed up and I'm scared that I'm going to stutter, I don't know what to say, just do it anyways. And that's what I did when I public spoke. I mean, that was literally, I'm standing there like on the podium and I'm trying so hard to talk and my mouth's getting dry. I'd never like, uh, that was my first time public speaking. My mouth was getting so dry that like my bottom lip was getting caught on my teeth (laughs) and I couldn't get my words out. And so I'm like, all right, this is making me nervous. My legs start shaking so bad that I'm holding onto the podium just hoping that nobody can see. And uh, I just kept going through it. And through the whole speech, I had learned a bunch of lessons. Like uh, one, you need water before you go on stage. That's very important. Mm. Um, (laughs) uh, A lot of fallback things. So like with speaking, I would forget what I was going to say. And then it would, it would be really hard to not have like this dead space. So I kind of just learned, all right, I need to write down five or six things that if the conversation completely dies, what can I fall back on? That way I can pick myself up kind of smoothly. And I'm sure you probably know that with doing podcasts so much that there's probably so many times somebody stops talking and you're like, all right, I got to start this in a different way and make it interesting because uh, the conversation's starting to go down. And I think when you just constantly are willing to, what's the saying, like be, com- be comfortable being uncomfortable, um, you just learn to figure things out on the way. Like I'm not perfect by any means and I'm never going to be. I'm just simply trying my best to put myself in situations where I'm forced to figure it out. And then you know, one step at a time, I'll get to what it is that I'm trying to get to. I love that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read, um, his name is Ray Dalio. He came out with a book called Principles like three, four years ago, I think, uh, maybe longer. But uh, he's got a, a principle. It's like his, his principles for creating this huge business that he made and a lot of success. And one of those principles was, you know, use pain as a compass. Like, uh, I'm probably butchering it, but it's something to the effect of like, I think it's you know, fear. Things that make you uncomfortable move towards them, not away from them, because yeah. that's a sign of growth. 100%. It's, it, anything that I've ever been scared to do has always brought me something that I needed. Whether it's like I was so scared to public speak, I did it anyways, and it opened up this uh, many doors right after that. I was, if I'm scared to ask a girl out, like the, uh, the throwing the football story, um, just simply just doing something in that moment to force myself to go after whatever it is <clears throat> always comes back tenfold and pays back. But if I'm, if I'm sitting in my comfort zone, all I get is, man, I wish I would have done that. Yep. It's true. It's true. Um, can you tell the throwing the football story? I just cracked me yeah. up and I would love to have it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I'm still getting over a cold. So I was walking <clears throat> down the beach one day and I see this girl and I'm like super nervous. I'd, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 16 at the time. And I like, am just not good at talking to girls, especially not back then. And I see this girl and I, I want to go ask her what her number is and talk to her, but I'm so nervous. And it's just me on the beach, by the way. Like I'm not like walking with my friends or anything. And I see this football laying on the ground. I don't know what in the world, like I didn't think at all. I just took action. I pick up a football and I throw it at her like actually as hard as I can. And it, it got her attention, obviously. So she was like with her friends and I ran up to her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, can I get you a water or a lunch? I'm, I didn't mean to. Do-. And again, I'm at the beach alone. It's not like I was playing football with people. Like I'm just some weird guy walking down the beach, picked up a football and <laughs> threw it at some random girl. And um, she's like, no, it's fine. It's no big deal. And we ended up talking um, for a couple hours at the beach. And then... <clears throat> I think she went and got lunch with her family and then came back down to meet me at the beach. And we stayed up like late at night, just talking. And we ended up dating for two years. And it was like, to this day, the best relationship I've ever had. And I've learned so many lessons from uh, being in that relationship. And I wouldn't change anything about it for the world. But if I didn't just simply do something dumb, like throw the football at her, I would have never met her because I was too scared. And it's that like, if you can learn to throw the football at, your 
fear of public speaking or throw the football at you're scared to apply for some job because what if they ask you to do a presentation and you're scared you're going to butcher it? So what? At least get up there and get known. I'd rather make an idiot out of myself on a stage in front of 12,000 people than those 12,000 people not know my name because one day I'm going to be able to help those people because they know me. And if I'm not known, I can't help anyone. I love it. I'd also like to clarify for anybody listening that this story took place in Florida where it is acceptable to throw footballs at random <laughs> passersby. <laughs> um, specifically in Panama City. <laughs> um, how, how is uh, starting a business over, over there? You're, you've, you know, I've met a few people, you know, roughly our age that have started companies, but most of them, uh, like, you know, Landon's who introduced us, uh, and mine and most of my other friends that are, you know, roughly in, you know, in their early twenties, um, most of their companies are around like technology or software and aren't really location dependent, but yours is right. Your, or your, your main business line is kind of like people have to come to you to get their cars detailed. Um, how, how do you, first of all, how do you like having a location dependent business and how do you think about doing it in kind of not a large, not a large city, you know, Panama city beach is really a a pretty small uh, town. Um, as far as having it not uh, to where I can't travel all the time, I don't like that at all. I'm not actually going to keep destination detail that much longer. I'm looking to sell the business. And um, as far as like business people, I don't actually, until I just met Landon maybe a month ago. And until then, I didn't really know that many business people here. Like most of my friends that I've connected with that are like-minded like me, I've met through like the app Clubhouse or um, going to different, like the TEDx conference and events like that. Like that's where I've met most of my friends that, um, are there for me and we can support each other and have each other's back when it comes to, uh, making hard decisions in business or, um, just keeping yourself in the right mindset. Like it's so important to surround yourself by the right people. And that for a long time, that was really hard to do in person. Cause I didn't know anyone. Like, I'm sure so many people listening to this can relate to this. Like I want to surround myself with people like me. But there's not that many people like me where I live. I was lucky enough to find Landon and a couple other people. But most of the friends that I surround myself with don't actually live here. Like, I'll actually go to Texas on a, you know, every couple of months and network with people and, or just not network, meet my friends. And, um, yeah, surrounding yourself with people is super important. And that's, uh, you can't use, oh, I don't have any friends next to me that are like-minded as an excuse to hang out with bad people. There's always good people. You just have to look for it. It's true. Uh, then in that case, I'm super glad you met the chaos audio guys. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think about, you know, selling your business? Like how, what, what's that process look like? I've never done that. I don't know many people who have, I haven't either. I, <clears throat> sorry, it's listed for sale and I've had, you know, re- people reach out interested and we've talked back and forth, but I, maybe I shouldn't even say it on the podcast because it's so new, but I'm just one of those things where just like when I started the business, I didn't know what I was doing. I figured it out. Now it's here. Um, I'm selling throwing it. I'm going to figure it out and it's going to be gone. Love it. You're throwing the football. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, what, uh, do you have like some kind of an advisor or a broker that you're working with or are you just like totally winging it? Um, no, my accountant, um, has worked with people that sells. This is not advice, by the way. My accountant has worked with people who have sold businesses before and gave me the rough numbers of, you know, you make this much, you have this much to offer, this is roughly mm. what you're worth. So I cut that number down some because I don't want to waste time. And um, I, I guess I don't. It's not big enough to have a broker and all of that. So I'm not sure um, what's going to happen. Okay. Are you trying to do like an earnout situation, or is it? A, are you looking for a straight buyout? Uh, have you thought about out. that at all? Straight by out. Cool. That's, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, what's, what's going to be next? Like after, after you do that, I know the real estate's a huge thing for you. You've got your YouTube channel. Uh, what, what other things are on your plate? Anything that's remote. So like my goal is to, like I said, is to be a public speaker and an author and live that sort of um, lifestyle. And a lot of things come with that. Like, you know, typically YouTube does. YouTube is also remote. I can do that anywhere. Um, obviously speaking in the book and all that is all remote as far as the real estate. I mean, I can own real estate all around the country and be in Hawaii all week. So, um, all of those things are remote. So 
the thing that's going to, I think, bring me to the financial side of the goals and the success that I want is the real estate. I mean, you can get paid a lot to speak, you can get paid a lot to YouTube, but real estate's what brings in the big bucks. And real estate will fund a lot of those things, whereas um, the speaking and the the book, and that's what that's what fulfills me because I want to help people succeed and get over that fear of whatever it is that they're doing and just learn to do something so simple like throw the football. And, you know, the speaking more fulfills me than is a paycheck, even though you can make money selling books and speaking, but like nobody's become, you know, worth a couple hundred million by public speaking. Right. 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 Um, so speaking of real estate, like that, that was kind of what we talked about in our first conversation we, we ever had, but uh, I'd like to get into it a little bit here. So uh, remind me, you're, you're flipping land. Is that right? Yeah. Land. Well, land that I'm buying at tax deed auction. So like right when 2020 hit, I had that big, oh shit moment. I don't know what to do. Just like everybody else did. I had like to be fully transparent. I had $5,000 down. I had $5,000 to my name. I had no money and I needed that money to support my business. I didn't have like, there was, there was absolutely no plan B in my life at that time. Like what is the, is it the burn the shit mentality? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or yeah. The, it was like a, guy, a Viking thing, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to butcher how this is, but it's like these guys come in uh, on a ship to like fight at an Island and they burn once they get there, they burn their own ship. That way they have to come back on the enemy ship. So the only way they're going to survive is if they win something like that. Um, I was in that situation. I, I, I had no ship. And um, mm -hmm. so I had $5,000. I couldn't spend that money on real estate. I didn't have any uh, way to get a loan. Like I was just completely square one. And so I had a car that was worth a decent amount of money, a Range Rover. I sold that. I put um, $15,000 into this little account that I could put into real estate. And I learned what tax deed investing was. That's basically where, say you own a house and you stop paying the property taxes, the county will take that house and auction it off to the highest bidder. So say your house is, <clears throat> say your house is $100,000 and you owe 4,000 in taxes, it's going to start the bid at $4,000. Typically it's going to go for like 90,000. But if for some wow. reason you just happen to be the only person at that auction, you're going to get the house for $4,000. And people have done deals even crazier than that. So I've wow. been trying to do this for like a year and a half and I couldn't every single time I'd get outbid by like $100,000. Like I don't have any money like that. And <clears throat> I waited and waited, and then I think, I, I want to say around March, but that might not be the exact time, when the pandemic really started happening, the, the lockdowns really started, all my competition stopped. Everyone was scared to do it for some reason. So I actually got three properties at the starting bid, and I turned, wow. well, actually, with I got a property right after that. So with four properties, I turned $18,000 into $136,000. And the whole 2020 Whoa. pandemic going on because I opened up my mind to, all right, instead of I'm screwed, I have nothing to do. I'm like, how can I possibly make this happen? There's got, there's always a way to make something happen, to do something else. And I just, I mean, luck, I'll, I, luck played a huge part of it too because of how everything happened. But sure. I've been trying to do that for a year and a half and learning everything. It just so happens that everything just happened right in the middle. So I got started by doing that, by investing in tax deeds. And I'm looking to buy my first single family home really soon to rent out uh, as a long-term unit. And then the goal is to have commercial real estate that's, you know, 300 plus units. I'm not anywhere like that now, but um, I'm just making my way up the ladder. You can't, not everyone starts at uh, $80 million property, right? Right. So when, when you bought that $18,000 worth of property, was that just land or did it have houses on it or, or did it have any kind of structure? It was three of them were land. One of them was land with a mobile home and the mobile home that was on the property was like completely destroyed. The plan was to actually buy it and then fix up the mobile home, but it's a tax deduction. So you can't go in and look at everything first. It's like sight unseen. Mm. I mean, you can drive past because I knew generally what it was. <clears throat> but I didn't know everything about it. And so it was a risky situation that I got myself into. I bought it. I think I bought that one for 8,600, the land and the mobile home. And I got into it and realized there's these squatters there. This, mm -hmm. I don't know how much of this I should say on a podcast, 
there are these like meth head neighbors that thought that they owned the house for some reason. I guess the lady that owned it before me had died, and that's why the taxes never got paid. So the neighbors next door just decided, hey, this is my house. And they, uh, <laughs> like drug addicts, they stripped the copper wire out of the walls to sell for drug money. I found drugs inside the house. There's squatters living in tents in the backyard, as well as like, like putting food in the house, but there was no electricity or stove working or sink. So uh, it was a nasty situation. Wow. And because of everything going on with the coronavirus, I couldn't evict anyone. And it, it would be months before I would ever be able to uh, file for an eviction, especially in a weird situation like that where I had bought it with the squatters. So I ended up actually just selling that one for cash for, I, I think I sold the one for 13000 So I made, what's the math on that, like 4000 Five? Um, four, but, okay. Maybe. Um, I got in, I realized how nasty he was, and I got right back out. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this situation right now. Wow, that's crazy. The so, whole thing so then the on other ones too. that it is, is it on your YouTube channel? Yeah, I had the the neighbors came and they're like yelling at me and uh, like the typical like I don't know if you've ever watched Breaking Bad, but there's this character in the show called Tucker that's like a crazy meth addict that's like hitting his head and slamming a shovel into the wall and stuff. That's like the exact situation that was going on, and I videoed the whole thing because one day I could use it for YouTube or especially just legally. I'm going into a home that I just bought. I don't know who's in it. If something happens, I want that to be on camera for my own protection. So I got these like crazy, uh, it looked like some scene out of a movie, meth heads coming after me. Did you end up publishing it? Is it on your channel? No, it's all private right now. Okay. I might okay. use it for something in the future, but I'm not sure. Fair enough. Um, do you, uh, so what did you do with the other, I think, three properties that you bought that were just land? Um, the, so the, the total of four, two of them, I just easily just sold for cash. Um, without any ad value, you just, you just kind of like resold it at a different price. Yeah. I would buy it for like one of the, one of the, a piece of land I bought for 1600 and sold it for 8,000. Another one I bought for, um, I can't remember all the numbers off the top of my head, but two of them I sold for cash and those two were owner finance. So the most recent one I did, I bought for, 3800 I resold it for 40000 but I owner financed it at close to 15% interest rate on a 15-year term. So stretch that 40000 over 15 years with interest, it's actually 89000 So essentially, I turned 4000 into close to ninety. But um, obviously, so much of that is interest, so you can pull up the numbers however you want. Sure. Okay. So are, when you say 90000 you you have not sold that one yet then? No, that's sold. It's sold, but sold. I owner financed it. So I sold it for 40. And so after the 15 years is over, I will have gotten 90 out of it. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. That sounds like it was a sweet few months for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were initially starting to bid on these properties, uh, but you kept getting you know beaten by $100,000, did you... Were you committed to only doing cash purchases at that point, or were you looking? Were you working with like hard money lenders and seeing what they would be willing to front? Um, what was your mentality about that? Exactly what I said about throwing the football. I had no idea what a hard money like what a hard money one a hard money loan was until after I bought the properties. Gotcha. I didn't know any of that. All I know is if I do this, this happens, and I just figured it out and. Uh, you could do that, but the thing is with the tax deductions, they're so slow. Like I have a, a bunch of money in the bank just waiting for more auctions to come up, but it's so hard to find ones that you can – like those are four really lucky ones that took a lot of time to just patiently wait for. And with the tax deed, it's not like – if you're buying single-family homes or duplexes, as long as you're looking, you can always find a deal. It doesn't matter what market you're in. You're going to find a good deal. But mm-hmm. the the county only – auctions off these houses every so often <clears throat> and some of them are great and some of them are um bad deals so it's just a matter of wait it's it's more of a matter of waiting for them to come up than the money issue i have the money but uh not that many auctions have been coming up lately and you, you said you're now looking for a single family residential uh yeah. is that going to be one that you buy and flip is it going to be one that you buy and hold a combination where you renovate and then hold what are you thinking I'm looking for something that's 
ideally I'd like to buy like a three bed, one bath. That's a kind of a fixer upper that I can just add a bathroom to, which is going to add a lot of value. So I have a three bed, three bed, two bath, um, fix it up and then just rent it out and then keep it like way long term. but then eventually sell it. And, um, it, finding my way into a deal where I can put $20,000 into it and bring out $50,000 more in value. That way I'm instantly, I have a good head over a good, um, uh, I have a lot of equity ex- equity in the house, mm-hmm. and then I can just rent it out for a while. That's what I did. That's the only real estate project I've done. Um, I bought one that was a three-bed, two-bath, and I turned it into a three-bed, three-bath and did a big addition. Yeah. Uh, that was definitely like the most uh, lucrative investment project I've ever been a part of. So I, I awesome. recommend going that approach. And I just, I'm holding it still, and it's still... Uh, it, it's like a, it's a rental property now. So I, I recommend before, uh, after doing the that. Pandemic started. Uh, I bought it before, I think it was 2018. I think it was in my junior year of college. That's where I bought it and did the renovation. So I think 2018. That's awesome. Where's this house yeah, at? It, uh, it's in Tucson, Arizona. That's, uh, that's where I went to school. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, so I want to ask you about your YouTube channel next. How did you get that started? I'm sorry. I'm going to have the same answer for everything. I just did it and figured it out. If you watch (laughs) so far, I've never deleted a single YouTube video. I think if you look at anybody's channel, that's big, they have like their first hundred videos are private, almost everyone, because they're so bad. Like for anyone that wants to start a YouTube channel, you're going to sound horrible. You're going to not going to act yourself. Your throat's going to get locked up. Like it's, you don't know what to talk about. Every single person goes through the same thing. The only difference between the people who want to and the people who are successful is the people who are successful just went through the ugly. And so the first part of my channel up until like, honestly, not even that long ago is just going through the ugly. I'm working out the kinks. I'm figuring out what works for me. I didn't know. I'm like, I'm going to make real estate. I'm going to, I'm going to make videos on real estate or then I'll I'll go to, I'm going to make videos on money, then car detailing, then Tesla stuff. Like I'm just figuring out what works for me. And my very first video, I actually like, it's me like in my, Range Rover just driving and I was like, I'm, I'm gonna start the, this YouTube channel. I even said in the video, I'm like, I don't know how to edit videos yet. I'm just going to figure it out and do it. <laughs> I think that's so important because I want to be at a level of like Mr. Beast and be able to say, go back and look at my, like for anybody that's like, oh, I'm awkward on camera. Go look at my first video. So mm-hmm. was I, everybody is. And, uh, as far as the videos I'm making right now, most of my videos are just, I'd recently bought a Tesla model three. Um, right at the beginning of the year. And so I'm making a bunch of videos on that just because Tesla's, I don't know what it is, but everything with the Tesla blows up. If you have a Tesla oh. in your thumbnail, you're going to get more views. And um, I really love the car. Making videos on it is fun because I just am so passionate about Tesla and Elon Musk. And, um, you just gave so me an excuse to of... put a Tesla in the thumbnail for this video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm just making a bunch of Tesla videos and lifestyle videos. Eventually, once I start um, getting into that project of buying the house, all that's going to be on my YouTube so I can not only show people, but also document it. Like I want my kids to be able to look back and be like, wow, that was Logan before he had all this. Like he figured it out and I can do that too. So I think that's really important is the the fact that I can document it and keep all that is pretty cool to me. I love the way you talk about success. Like it's a guaranteed thing. Like I, I, I think I'm not saying that to mock you. I was saying that because I think it's no, I love uh, that admirable, you know, like you've, uh, you talk about it like, oh, you know, people are going to be able to look at this and say, this is where I came from, assuming that you, you know, will get somewhere else. It's a really great mentality to have, I believe. I agree. If you think that you're going to fail, have fun failing. Like, not, mm-hmm. not necessarily failing. Like, I know I'm going to fail. Like, on the way to my, you know, the stage, I'm going to make so many mistakes. I even told my parents the other day because I'd, I don't want to get into all of it on the podcast, but I'd got into this situation where it was really tough to figure my way out of it. And uh, my parents gave me some advice, like, uh, just do this just in case you fail. And I remember, like, I sat them down and I'm like, although I like really appreciate you being worried about me, I have to fail and learn how to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to be able to figure this out. I, would, I told them, I'm like, I would rather on my way to being worth the amount that I want to be worth, like, finance-wise, I would rather go bankrupt seven times on the way there and completely lose everything than be content with how I am now. Like, I just don't want to be in the same situation. Like, I'm so glad a year ago, 
I thought that I would be in a better position than I am now. However, I've completely transformed my life in a year. I have these super big goals and high expectations for myself, so big and so massive that I always fall short. I hardly ever hit my goals are so big. But I would rather fall short on a big goal than set a small goal and hit it. Setting a goal and not hitting it is not disappointing to me. Because if I make a goal, say like option A, I make a goal to make $100,000. I make $100,000. Cool, right? I set a goal to make a million. I make 850000 which situation would you rather would you rather fail making a million or succeed making a hundred thousand? I'd rather make eight hundred and fifty thousand and fail. Right. So I set these yeah. big goals that are so big that my problems pale in comparison. Like I'm not worried about uh all my little problems and people gossiping and talking uh bad about me and not supporting me or whatever it is, because I'm so focused on how am I gonna get on stage? How am I gonna get a private jet? Like, those are the things that's running through my head, not these little bitty problems like uh, whatever, in, stupid inconveniences. I mean, everybody always has uh, little things that they're worried about. Absolutely. This, this philosophy of yours uh, requires a pretty high level of, of self-confidence and you know, belief in yourself. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I wasted a lot of my time when I was younger just doing stupid stuff. And I think that now, like, I'm just so willing to bet on myself. Like, everyone is going to fail and everyone's going to make mistakes and everything. But I know that in the end, I'll be able to figure my way out of whatever it is. So whatever situation mm-hmm. I get myself stuck in, I know that I'm going to be able to pull myself out. Now, yep. people around me supporting me is very important. Um, having people to look up to, very important. But you have to have that trust and like it sounds cliche but like the self-love to be able to completely rely on yourself like i'm gonna keep the ball rolling even if everything else fails like if i lose everything i'm gonna figure my way right back to it and if you really truly believe that you're willing to put yourself in situations that other people would never do i just talked to my friend who i've talked to in a really long time that's kind of more of a a nine to five guy like he's you know he wants a secure job and nothing wrong with any of that but we were talking and he's like oh i would never do that because uh, i wouldn't want to take the risk i'm like wow like i remember being in that mindset but now Mm -hmm. i'm so willing to take risks like almost like i'm hungry to fail because every single time i fail i learn something like to me that's not failing failing is when you completely just give up and stop trying i'm like looking for situations that i can fail and make an idiot out of myself almost like when me and Landon were hosting that clubhouse room, which is how I met you, um, we were so he was sitting in my office and we were so nervous. For some reason, we're like, "What if people join? Like, we don't know what to say." And I'm like, "Dude, worst case scenario, we hit the hang up button and leave. Like, it's, it's not it's not going to be that bad. We can just change." That's exactly what I said when I got on this podcast with you. By the way, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm just willing to bet on myself and figure it out. Like. It's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be pretty, but I'm going to figure it out some way. And if not the first time, I'll learn and do it the second time. My first podcast sucked. It wasn't that good, but I'm learning and I'm not perfect, obviously, but give me 10 more and then I'll be better. Uh, you're, you're killing this one, man. I'm having a blast. So one of the things that I, I really like about you, like in, in this conversation, in our first conversation and in your YouTube channel is just how like how unfiltered you are, how, how like real it feels like, you know, the, I, I guess I probably have a different perspective on this than most of your listeners because they only see you on like YouTube and social media, but I've had, I've now had like two conversations with you and it feels like I'm talking to the exact same character that I am in the YouTube videos, where usually is like kind of like an altered personality, you know, um, a great example of this, like in your public speaking video, cause that was the one I watched most recently, uh, you know, right after you got off stage, the first thing you did was you got in your car, you gave your brother the camera and you're like, okay, what did I do? How did, how did it go? Give me, give me the honest feedback. And he gave you like the actual criticism and you just shared it with the internet. That, that was such a cool approach. Have you, have you always had that, that, uh, philosophy about your content? Like, have you always just been raw and unfiltered like that? Or did you kind of develop that? Yeah. I've always been, I, I just believe in so much like people that I look up to more than anybody, like Sarah Blakely, if you know who that is, that's my biggest role model. Or just take anybody. Let's just say like, I don't know, Mark Cuban. Um, I wish 
so badly that I could see <clears throat> what he was doing before he made it. Like, I think people look at someone like Mark Cuban and think, well, yeah, but he's different. He has things that I don't. He has, no, he doesn't. He just figured it out and did it. Like, it's, it sounds so dumb, but it's so simple. Like, that's literally all it is. And I think it's so important that I put out my mistakes and put out the, all right, I did this wrong. Here's what I'm going to do right. I'm going to pivot here, and then I get to the next level. I want to put all that out there so that people who are like me when I was younger can say, like, you know, some kids, like, 16, uh, getting bullied in school. He has yellow teeth or something like that. And he's like, man, I wouldn't be a good speaker on stage or something. So that he just completely closes that out. He sees one of my videos where I'm – like, he sees me on TV, and then he happens to watch one of my videos, and he's like, wait, that's, a, that's his first speaking gig? Wait, what? And then he's interested. Then mm -hmm. he can learn. Like, I'm basically making a blueprint for other people by just putting out my mistakes and my pivotal moments out on the Internet. And, like, a true role model is not someone who just figures everything out. I mean, it's not someone who just has it all perfect. A role model is someone who made the same mistake as you, figured out how to fix it, and then is willing to share that. Like, I'm, I'm willing to be vulnerable because I think it's so important to help people. Like, there's so many things in my book that um, I would never – I mean, there's things in my book that I wouldn't tell some of my friends. But it's so important that I want someone to read my book and feel like I'm completely just like them. I go through the same, the same uh, depression. I go through the same self-doubt. I go through the same, man, I probably could have done more, but I was too lazy because I was – sitting in my bed too long in the morning. Like we all go through that. And I think mm -hmm. when I'm just because I'm willing to put it out, that's going to end up helping people. And that's, that's so fulfilling to me that it's worth, it's worth looking like an idiot sometimes. I totally agree. Um, so about this book that you're, you're in the process of writing it, right? It's not out yet. Yeah. It's not even close to being finished. Do you have any well, you know, rough timeline? No, I don't have a rough timeline. I, I thought that I thought that I did it first. But I also, <clears throat> as I'm building my name and, you know, I've gotten close with a couple of other best-selling authors who have given me advice on how to do certain things. And I think I'm going to wait until I, not, I'm not talking about being famous, but have a decent name for myself so I can actually promote the book because mm -hmm. it's not even about the money and the fame and everything. It's, if I'm going to put this much work into a book, I want it to really impact people. And in order to really impact people, I do need a little bit bigger of a name than what I have for myself now. So um, I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to release it, but I'm constantly, the longer I wait, the more gets put into the book and the better it gets. Sure. More of a story to tell. Yeah, exactly. Um, more or less. So you started, you started your first business when you were 16, right? That's correct. And that, was that the car detailing business? Yeah, that's the, that's the business that I'm selling now. Okay, cool. Um, so when you were first starting that out, how did you go about you know, acquiring customers? That's the thing that people are really worried about when they first start their businesses based on the people I've talked to. How did, I mean, knowing you, you just took a stab at it, right? But like, how, what did that look like for you? Well, that ironically was actually kind of <clears throat> strategic. I, again, didn't know what I was doing, but I wanted to start like a car wash only because that's the only thing I knew how to do. I'm, I'm horrible at school. I'm dyslexic. I suck at reading. Uh, anything, I was so scared. I used to be so uh, self-conscious about like my reading that I was scared to get a job at like Target because I was scared that I would have trouble reading when I was catching people out of the register. Like that's the level mm -hmm. of like self-doubt that I had back then. As, a, as opposed to me now, I'm like, put me on stage. I might mess up a word, whatever. Um, so with the, the reason I did detailing is because it's just something I knew how to do. I knew how to wash a car. I didn't know what detailing was. It was supposed to be a car wash in the beginning. And um it slowly turned into detailing. But whenever I was trying to acquire my first customers, um, I think I probably, let's just say probably 10, I washed 10 cars for, for free, just like business executives, like most of my mom's uh, coworkers and things like that that had nice cars. I'm like, hey, I want to start this business. Can I do your car for free? And in return, if you like it, maybe sell some other people. And so I did a couple of cars for free. Um, even though they were for free, they completely tipped me. I went to Walmart, got some more products. I don't ever suggest buying detailing products from Walmart, but uh, I did what I could do. I bought some more products. I went to some more people. I'm like, hey, let me do your car for free in return. Um, tell some people about me. And I was smart because I did it for free. 
instead of charging a little bit amount because I think a lot of people when they're starting to do a photography business or car detailing or whatever it is that's like the more common easier things to get into they don't charge a lot of money and then they get stuck in the I'm only worth 30 bucks an hour or whatever it is and because I did it for free I got all their respect and then I could go back and say it's $200 for the service and they they weren't expecting they didn't have a number in their head whereas if I charged them $30 before they would be mm. assuming to pay that same $30, but it's free versus full price. And they knew free the, wouldn't be the eternal price. Yeah, exactly. I, it, from Because I make so many car detailing videos, so many people DM me like, how did you start? How did you do this or whatever? And the biggest piece of advice I tell people is do it for free the one time and then charge full price. And, and charge the full price of someone else that's in your area, not just don't make up a number. Go and look at other people that are detailing cars find whoever's the best of the best what are they charging say it's three hundred dollars now figure out how you can be better than them then you can set your price higher you can be the highest price if you're the best and you don't have to worry about like what what if people don't know if i'm good or not you've already detailed their car once for free it's a lot cheaper to mm -hmm. do it for free and then charge full price than it is to do 50 cars charging 30 bucks or something like that one of the things i've seen you talk about is uh when you're changing your pricing model and you're, you know, one of the traps that people in your industry fall into, and I've seen it in my industry too, is they'll grandfather people into their old prices and then they're stuck doing that forever. How do you approach that conversation with past clients? I think that's a really interesting and nuanced uh, conversation that has to that happen. That is such a play it by ear thing. I recently, not re probably like maybe eight months ago, something like that, I realized that. I had some people paying me a lot of money and a lot of people in the beginning paying me so little that it was almost costing me money to do their car instead of mm. um, someone else's. So I had to basically go to them and say, hey, um, we had initially said we were grandfathering you in, but this is a situation we can't expand with keeping everybody grandfathered in. And it's not fair to keep a couple people grandfathered in. So um, what we'd like to do is detail your car one or two more times at this price and then just know that it's going up to the standard price that a new customer pays. Um, and I kind of did it like that with a lot of people, but there's still certain people that are grandfathered in. because It just depends on, it's so wishy-washy and it's so, um, depends on the person. I have some people that pay me hardly anything, but they bring me so many new customers that like I would almost do their car for free as long as they keep bringing me customers. They bring me so mm -hmm. much value that the money is not as important. Whereas other people, you know, their car is dirty, they don't bring me any customers, you have to pay full price. I've, I've been in that situation as well. And like, I also have some, some clients where, you know, I'm in the web space, so it's a little different, but like parts of the job you can, uh, automate, you know, as time goes on. So I've got some people that I've got on, uh, you know, I've had for on a retainer for four years at a price that I would never dream of charging today because, you know, we've, the business has evolved so much since then, but because of how well established those processes are, it's like not even a burden for me anymore to, you know, to have them and they give me so much value in other ways too. So I absolutely see what Great you're team. saying. Um, do you have, uh, I don't know anything about your business, like structurally, how, how is your business set up? Do you have people working with you? Is it, uh, are you doing it all solo? What does it look like from that perspective? Um, I had two employees and after the pandemic started, I kind of restructured how I did things where now mm -hmm. I just do it to make money. It's not necessarily, um, it's scaled, it's scaled down so much since the pandemic. And for me to put all the work back into it and hire employees and build everything back up to where I'll like sell it some more would take away so much from everything else that I'm doing that I'm just in this weird situation where I can't, I can't grow it anymore without putting so much work into it, which I don't want to do. And I don't want to shrink it. So I'm just keeping it flowing where it is now. And then, you know, saying my goodbyes, I learned my lesson with it and I did a lot of great things with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a long-term plan anyways. Ideally you'd want to sell a business at its peak, but no one ever knows what your peak is until, until you're looking up at it. So, if you were to sell it and you're not, and you said already that you don't want to do an earnout and you don't have any employees, what would you be selling? Just like the leads that you're getting and the systems yeah. that you've developed or. So typically when you sell a business like that, you would normally just sell it to one of your competitors. You're just going to ah. pay money, buy out your customers. And maybe you might just get someone that wants your brand too. They want all the logos. They want the reputation. Um, but generally speaking, most people would just, uh, take the company, use the name, and then slowly convert the customers to there. Just say, hey, just so you know, you know, we bought this,
company, but we actually own this other one, and we're com- they're the same company right now, and then they just merge together. Mm. Well, that's not. And you do also have like a pretty good. You do also have like a pretty sizable following on like Facebook and stuff in your area, so that yeah. that does make sense. So, uh, why was just to shift subject slightly? Why was public speaking such like this this momentous thing for you? What what about it scared you? I don't know. It's I probably the same as everybody else. I was. Uh, it's weird. I I said it when just, I'm going to answer your question, but I said while I was speaking that you're only born with two fears, which is the fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds. Every other fear that you have in life is made up off of like personal experiences. So for a lot of people that are scared of public speaking, that might be because, you know, they were at a lunch table at school and they made a joke about uh, that coffee cup being funny and their friends didn't laugh at it. And they're like, Oh, people don't think I'm funny. That's what subconsciously you said that in your head. And then, you know, you ask somebody out and they say, no, why would I date you? Then you're like, oh, I'm not funny and I'm kind of ugly. And you build these things up. And I think the reason that so many people are scared of public speaking is because they have such a long list of those like self-doubts that the thought of going up on stage is like all of those getting pinged at once. Yeah. And so I think just me being scared from maybe being bullied as a kid or uh, my like stuttering when I talk or something like that, I was so scared to be in front of that many people who were also going to judge me. And the only reason that I finally came to come over that fear was because I'm like, if I, I can't help people. Like I, if I went through like being bullied or whatever it was, it would be such a shame for it just to be that. Like I want to build my name and speak and help other people realize that all of these things that you're so scared of, it's literally just made up. Like you actually made it up in your head that I'm ugly. I'm not funny. I'm not good enough, whatever it is. And when you slowly start to break that down, it's like drugs. Like I'm high all the time now. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, if I'm scared of doing that, I can figure it out. And then it's gone. Like, it's like, I have this like trick to some magic spell or something like that. When it's, it's just simply learning how your brain works and how to overcome fear. You just confronted immediately and your ambitions overpowered your fears. I love it. I also thought that I'm like, if, <clears throat> if I get up on that stage and I talk, I'm going to stutter and then everyone's going to think I'm a joke. Instead, I stuttered and everyone related to me because everyone is just as mm. confused or just as confused as you are. Like everyone was like, oh, he's stuttering. Probably not as bad as I would though. Or always oh, leg shaking wow, he's still up there when he's like, his leg is shaking. They were looking at me with admiration because I was visually shaking. Like I was literally like like that shaking and I was up there talking anyways. And I my, my speech was about overcoming fear. And I ended up using myself as an example. I'm like getting up on the stage, I genuinely thought I might throw up. And I was literally looking in the corner behind me because I'm like, if it happens, I need to run that way. Like that was a real realization <laughs> that was in my head. And being able to share that on stage and say, like, look, 10 seconds ago, that was me. This is me now. Yep. Like, this is a live example of me putting myself out there and slowly breaking out of that shell. I'm still in it. I'm like, look at my leg. It's still shaking. I'm still nervous. Uh, and somebody brought me water. I'm like, thank God this guy brought me water. Otherwise, I, I would just be up here and you wouldn't hear me because I'd just be blowing air. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just what a, gotta figure did, it out. How much of that would, did you plan when you went up there? Did you did you know everything you were going to say? Did you just have bullets that you wanted to hit? How much of it I was improv? I had a couple of bullet points that I want to hit, but I purposely made it harder for myself, which sounds ridiculous, but um, I, I am dyslexic, and reading is uh, hard for me, especially in like situations like that. Like I don't want to I, – I know that I won't ever want to put myself in a position where I have to read a teleprompter, like where that's the only option. So I want to train myself to be able to speak without a teleprompter. There's this author, I don't remember what, what his name was, but he was speaking about the fact that he had dyslexia and he wasn't a fast reader. And so he couldn't read a teleprompter while he was on stage. It was always causing issues. So he learned to speak without a teleprompter and that allowed him to be so engaged with the audience that he could actually speak in situations where normally people couldn't. And that was super pow- powerful to me. So I wanted to learn that from my first speaking gig so 
my brother even asked me, like, do you want to come and meet, like, the audience before, like, like a week before or something? I'm like, no. I want this to be as hard as it possibly can. I want a, a cold audience that doesn't know my name. They'd never heard me before. I don't want to have a mic. I want to be unmiked in front of all those people, so I have to talk loud. Super stupid. Um, I don't want to teleprompter, <laughs> and I don't want to write my speech. I want to have certain things that I want to talk about, but I want to figure out the rest on stage. Because if I can do it this time, I know that I can do it in front of 40,000 people. And so I, I made all these little things, I made it as hard as I could for myself. That way, like I knew I was set. Because then I'm, by doing that, I'm learning to trust myself. And then I can, I have myself with me all the time. I don't have a teleprompter. I don't have a microphone. I don't always have those things, but I always have me. So if I can learn to do all those and only use yep. me, I'm golden. I can outspeak uh, so many people without being able to speak without those combinations. I think there's like a motif on this whole episode that we've been talking about, maybe in your life, but it, it's just moving towards the things that scare you and as direct of a confrontation as possible. Um, and that's just been leading to one success after another for you. Um, and also surrounding myself with the right people. I think in the beginning, that's something I didn't really mm -hmm. see as that necessary. I didn't really understand it until I started doing it. And then slowly, even, <clears throat> even now, I'm looking at my surroundings and I'm like, oh man, I, I stopped again. It's time to surround myself with the next level. Mm. And then you break, it's like a ladder. It's so weird how that works. It's true. What, what does it look like for you when you say someone's the right people? Like, what are you looking for? I'm not necessarily looking for someone who's in the exact same industry or in the exact same uh, level as me. It's not like a, oh, well, if I'm going to be a millionaire, I can only hang out with millionaires. It's nothing like that. Me and Landon have completely different financial goals. We have completely different businesses. But what makes us, uh, what makes him such a good friend to me is that when he was here and we were doing that clubhouse call, we were both saying, unmute yourself, talk, get in there, raise your hand, uh, and yeah. pushing each other to do things that, you know, another friend would be like, well, why are you even on clubhouse? Like I literally had, I had this old friend that I'm not friends with anymore because I purposely closed that window. Um, he asked us why we were on clubhouse and I explained to him the reasons why. And I'm like, we met the CEO of Entra and um, we became friends with them. And he's like, well, why? And you just didn't get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, it's important to surround myself with people like Landon, who it, he keeps lighting my fire. And I think my advice to people who can't, my advice to people who can't figure out how to surround yourself with the right people, it sounds so cliche, but when one door closes, another one opens. And if you want better friends, you have to cut ties with people. Like you can't expect to be friends with someone who's a nine out of 10 when you're hanging out with a bunch of tubes. And the only way is to say, hey, you don't have to necessarily go up to them and end the friendship, but just call some right. space, push them a little bit to the side, focus on your growth, and then people come. Like, you attract what you are. If I truly am just there to help people and uh, be an example or just be myself, people just, I just met Landon at the gym. He, the only reason I met Landon is because he came up to me and said, hey, my name's Landon. We're doing this Kickstarter campaign. Would you mind liking and sharing the post? So I shared it in my story and I was like, what is this chaos audio thing? And we just, I'm like super interested. And I'm like, hey, I do this. Let's help each other out. Like it was literally that genuine. Uh, yep. It wasn't a, uh, anything like selfish to it. It's just like, you're going places. I'm going to be somewhere one day. I'm going to be big one day. I need you to look over my back. I, do you know who Scooter Braun is by chance? No. Scooter Braun is the manager. He's, he discovered Justin Bieber. He found Ariana Grande on Nickelodeon and blew her up. He's the manager for both of them, Demi Lovato, Tori Kelly. He's a huge, like, he's the biggest person in the industry. He was Taylor Swift's manager gotcha. for a while. And um, he was telling the story at a conference that I was at. He, he's, probably, he's probably worth, like, half a billion dollars, somewhere around $500, $600 million. And um, he was telling the story about when he was – at this networking event and he met this he met like 12 people who were also interested in like the music industry and he got like a a list of their emails so he's emailed all 12 people and I'm, I'm, i might kind of butcher this but it's pretty close he emailed all 12 people and was like hey my name is scooter um this is what i do i'd like to you know 
connect just to watch over each other. It wasn't like a, how can I benefit from you or how can I get something from you? It's like, who can help me? Like, who can watch over me so I can watch over you? And this guy, I forgot his name, um, hit him back and was like, hey, my name's so-and-so. Um, yeah, let's connect. And they just started talking, becoming close friends, like a genuine friendship. And Scooter it now has all these big artists under him and he's such a big name in the music industry. And his friend just happened to start this company, what is now Spotify. So this guy huh. in the music industry just it has a genuine friendship with Spotify. And they, look, they don't do business together. They just really just look over each other as friends and support each other. Because, you know, with a business, two businesses that big, there's all kinds of, there's media involved in it and people are trying to break you down. And sometimes you just need someone who's as big as you to understand what you're going through. Like if you are some huge celebrity, you can't expect me or you to understand what they're going through. They're a completely no. different level than us. Yep. They need another like celebrity who's also getting followed by paparazzi and making up stories about them to understand like what to, how to get through that. So I just think that's so cool to, uh, that story is so cool because he did, it was, it was so genuine. It wasn't, I hate the whole like the networking world where we all go and, hang out with people and pitch. network and we're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And it's like, Oh, how can I, what can I get from you? That's like, I always, it's always that yep. vibe with me. Like I love the true, I don't go to, I don't go on business meetings. I go and hang out with my friends. Like I hate people that's like, mm -hmm. Oh, I have a meeting at five. And I'm like, aren't you eating with your friends? Like, why is that a meeting? <laughs> like, are you just trying to sound professional? Like I, I just genuinely have good connections with some people that happen to be big names, but others that are just normal people like me. It's just, genuine. it's cool when you can like form normal social relationships with people that are kind of doing the same, not the same thing you're doing, but this at a similar like level as you it's, it's cool to, uh, that sounds super like pretentious, but what I mean is like people who can relate to what you do every day. And that's really, that's really challenging to find when you're doing something that not a lot of people are doing. So I, I totally yeah. see what you're saying there. And even totally if they're not doing the exact same thing as you, like you said, just someone who's willing, someone who believes that you're going to be there mm -hmm. to the top and also wants to go to the top, you guys do nothing but help each other out, get there. Like me and Landon, I know that if I, the more I can support him, the more I can help him out, the bigger he's going to be. And I'm just going to rise with him. Like you can't, if you are jealous of what your friends are doing, you need new friends or you're the issue really. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah, it's, you need to fix your you need to fix your brain. <laughs> yeah, you can't. If, if jealousy plays a part, you're in a nasty situation. I'll tell you what one of the one of the best parts of this podcast has been like getting to connect with those few people that you know you kind of see peripherally are doing something interesting to you, and um, like there's just all these people that I've been connected with on Instagram or on LinkedIn or whatever that are doing really interesting stuff. And I just get to like bring them onto the show. You, you're a great example too. Like we never would have had to, we never would have had the opportunity to chat like this for, I don't know how long we've been talking now, an hour and a half, something like that. What are Probably. we at? An hour. Uh, wow. We never would have had an opportunity to do this. Like this, it's, it's definitely the most rewarding part of, of this whole thing is like getting to connect with people who are doing really interesting stuff. It's, it's sweet. And, and I also get to like just ask you. I have such an excuse to just ask you like the deepest questions. Like so, like what are you I after? Probably the coolest <laughs> thing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it is. It's like I get free business advice from all these people. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the fact that we met on Clubhouse too, like the fact we almost didn't host that room, and I was like, dude, if we just do it, something good is gonna come out of it. Something. It just happens to be that you're like the only person that joined the room, and then we met and talked. Like, if you're just it was super funny. It was like we were all on the phone. <laughs> you what? I said it was super funny. It was like we were all on the phone, but it was still pretty. Yeah, cool. I know. <laughs> just no audience. We're just up on <laughs> stage with a bunch of empty seats around us, basically. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I'm inspired. You are a uh, such an awesome person. I'm super glad we got to connect, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, where can people connect with you? What is the, uh, I'll, I'll have done like a whole intro and stuff before the video started, like plug in your businesses and all that. But like what, what social networks should people connect with you on? Um, mostly Instagram more than anything. I'm pretty new to TikTok, but that's growing pretty fast. And then YouTube. Okay, cool. And 
Your Instagram handle is Logan Price right Official. Now, both Instagram and TikTok are both Logan Price Official. I'm trying so hard to fight to get the official taken out. But right now, it's just my name, first and last name, official on most everything. And then most of the right, newer well, apps is just my first and last name. When you get it uh, taken off, let me know and we'll update the show notes. Um, <laughs> we'll do another but, uh, Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Logan, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it.